something wrong? Look, what on earth is that district bishop thinking when he brings a female preacher down here? Oh, honey. I'm serious as a heat rash. Meet me behind a pulpit's man's job. Oh, I think she seems nice. Nice has nothing to do with it, Helen. What kind of country we turned into when every stinking tradition we hold dear gets kicked into shorts every time somebody thinks something new is nicer? Tell you, next thing I know, you're going to be telling me to stop hunting because animals might get their feelings hurt. I'm sorry, Helen. I wasn't raised to believe in no girl preacher. And you know what? Neither were you. Being a man or a woman has nothing to do with doing the job. I can't believe you're taking her side. I'm not taking anybody's side, sweetheart. I don't know why the bishop didn't have you pastor our church. I think you would have been wonderful. I know you would have been wonderful. But just maybe Debbie's going to bring something to our town that's been missing for some time, for a long time. I mean, I saw people in that church on Sunday I haven't seen for years. Now, I know that there are certain things that God holds sacred that should never change, no matter what people think. But I know that Debbie loves God. might grow to love our town and the people in it. Even the ones that haven't made her feel particularly welcome. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. Our movie this week from 2007, another TV movie. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of them on Amazon, but the percentage of the nine episodes we've done that are TV movies is more than what I thought it would be. Here we have another one that I assume aired on some Christian cable network. Um, Welcome to Paradise. My guest this evening, who despite how it may sound, is not a character from Downton Abbey, Piper Van Steenwick. Hello, ma'am. Hello. Glad to be here. How are you? I'm all right. What did you think of this Christian film? Okay. I know how you feel about Christian films. Well, we can get into it, but just... Yes. You enjoyed it, yes? I did. I did. Yes. Here's the thing. I went into it, pretty biased, I suppose, expecting to hate this movie. It's not a good movie. Wow. Yeah, no. But it's not terrible <laughs> like it's no it's too long there's no reason for this to be two hours long yeah i had to watch it in two separate sittings but this, just is the, at a time. this is the first movie for the podcast that i have watched twice hmm. and taking notes which may be why i have two full pages of notes instead of the one i usually have when i do this um let's talk about christian cinema in general for a minute um, yes, working at the theater as we did in a semi-rural Minnesota town, anytime mm-hmm. one of these goof-ass Christian movies would come out, we'd get it. And then we're flocked with old people who won't shut up about, I mean, I literally have like an 80-year-old woman get in my face when I'm trying to clean a theater and say, did you know Jesus loves you? He does. It's great. And I'm like, oh my God, like, like nose to nose with me. So it's a bit much. And I don't have a problem with Christians having their own 
because so many of them are like, oh, if they say the word damn in it, I'm not watching, you know, like their options are limited, a lot of them, for what they partake in. Absolutely. I don't begrudge them having their own form of entertainment. The problem is, is that uniformly they are amateurishly made and cheap. And a lot of them are, particularly the ones that come out in theaters, patently racist, patently homophobic, patently anti-science, anti-medicine, misogynist, dangerously stupid, like stuff like Unplanned, which is a dangerously stupid film. Yeah, agreed. Beginning to end, bullshit to start with. Stuff like God's Not Dead, which is like, (laughs) we're going to prove atheism wrong by, you know, or what was the one where the kid drowns? medicine didn't save him jesus saved him like it's so it's it's unconscionable to to try to teach people that lesson in this day and age you know so i have time or patience for this brand of movies this movie is misogynist to a degree is racist in a weird way is homophobic in a weird way but it's very subdued compared to most of these movies which put it right out on front street and you can't miss it it's almost like a folksy and charming form of racism like <laughs> to say because that's not a thing racism is racism right but, and most of the these problematic things are coming from the the quote-unquote villain of the movie so it's not in a lot of these movies it's the hero of the film who's engaging in this shit and you're supposed to be like, well, yeah, obviously, like, because that's how we live. But so the message of this is, while, while that stuff is present, the message of this is like, don't be like that. So it's walking a real tightrope, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think that, yeah, they completely, you could tell they were doing it for the purpose of teaching you a lesson at the end or showing you not to be that way. Just how stupid the people look who are acting like that and how much like their minds are opened by the end of the movie i guess but just on the topic of her being a female reverend and just in general men believing that women are not supposed to be behind the pulpit that was kind of the point of the movie so the misogyny yeah, that's all coming from just the asshole character. Yes, yeah. So, on one hand, it sucks that that stuff is in there at all. It sucks that Christians would need a movie like this to teach them le- that lesson that everyone else figures out without having to be a Christian, you know? Yeah. But if this movie, in some weird way, helped one 65-year-old lady sitting at home watching the Religious Network and made her go, huh, maybe homeless people are all right, like, you know, or whatever. If she took something from it, then it's a net positive. Yeah. It's a, it's a harmless film. It's not, you know, so right. if any good came from it, I kind of have to side with it. Yeah, because I thought it was, and I don't know quite how to phrase this, but I thought it was delightfully non-Jesus-y. Like, they didn't really spend a lot of time talking about God and the Bible. 
Yeah, they don't ha- they don't hammer on specifically like there's there's some sermons and hymns going on and stuff, but there's not nobody has has an impassioned speech necessarily about how like you have to have Jesus or you know none of this would have happened if we'd had like it's very yeah I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what the word is either but I don't know like when they have something like that i don't know what they keep it short and sweet i guess it's, like the it's, scenes it's there but it's kind of under the surface it's just kind of a haze over the whole thing but it's not yeah they're not beating your head beating you over the head with it like so many it's, of these movies do like you said earlier um it's subdued yeah it was and it's a pleasant enough watch like i did not at no point did I was I shaking my head going, oh my god, why do, why are people like this? And I was never bored. I was never disgusted. <laughs> like it's it's a perfect. It's not something I ever in a million years would have watched if it weren't for this podcast. If it hadn't come up randomly, but its existence doesn't piss me off, which is more than I can say for. 99% of Christian cinema. So I kind of have to give it a thumbs up. That's fair. Yeah. Because at first, when I went into it, I took note that on Amazon Prime, it has an oddly high rating. It was at least four and a half stars, you know? So I was like, this is probably going to be pretty okay. Well, that's the thing with, with, movies like this Christian movies in particular is the people who love it go way out of their way to go and give it a good review people who don't care don't necessarily take the time even if you hated it you're probably not going to take the time out of your day to go and give it a bad to give it one star you know what I mean right because you're not paying it any mind in the first place or if Christians see something that really offends them and pisses them off they go way out of their way to go and attack it and give it a you know but the people who don't care don't care so i feel like that star rating and reviews and things are probably slanted a bit but i always try to take it with a grain of salt sure. um <clears throat> let's see here this was i have no idea what actual channel this was on it was directed by a guy named brent huff who and this raises a question for me about the cast in general as well as the director has made, he's mostly known for acting. He's done a lot of little stuff in TV. And he's made a number of R-rated films. So this isn't specifically a Christian film director. And I don't know that a lot of the familiar faces in this movie are necessarily hardcore Christians either. So what I wonder is how much of this is the people involved, the actors specifically, they're just here for a paycheck because work is work. Or are they into this stuff? Are they Christians too? And I'm like, yes, finally, I get to make a Christian movie. Like, I don't, I don't know. A lot of times people keep that on the DL sort of, so you never know if this is their thing or not, or if they're just, it's a job. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring to the table. I could see them probably not being that religious because... Even the main character, Debbie, the reverend, I feel like a religious woman might not want to play a character that 
she maybe feels mocks being a reverend, which like I wouldn't necessarily agree with. Yeah, I don't but, think that it does. If anything, kind of the moral of the movie is is that like big churches are not to be trusted. <laughs> like yeah. they're corrupt, money grubbing. It's like it's your small town family church is the one that's gonna, you know. Which is an interesting take too, that you're telling your audience that like mega churches are bad and <laughs> you know. So it's all very kind of rustic and I I don't know if redneck is the right word, but it's, you know, it takes place in Texas. It's that kind of vibe. Yeah. And I, I noticed little small towny things, you know, that, and I noticed at first at the beginning of the movie, she was very uncomfortable with everybody. Like she was surprised when she told a joke that wasn't that funny. And the lady just laughed so hard. Like the lady from the bakery? The first woman who greeted her at the church. What, what did you say? I was wondering if it's the, the lady from the bakery. The lady who runs the bakery is the happiest person on the planet. <laughs> she loves everything. But, well, like like Jim O'Hare is in this movie, who's from um, Parks and Rec. And yep. Ken, Jen Ken Jenkins, who played Dr. Kelso on Scrubs. And so they were on shows that were... But then you think about it, and you're like, okay, but did did his character of Jerry on Parks and Rec ever do anything that was like super that a, a Christian actor would be like, I don't want to do that, you know? Like it was a pretty yeah. mellow show. So again, I don't know if like is he a super Christian guy, or is he just like, hey man, Parks and Rec is over. Well, it wasn't over. This was 2007, so this might have even been before Parks and Rec. But and that's probably another reason why any of them might have been in the movie is when you're starting your acting career you just like you said take the paycheck could be yeah i don't it's a, it's a question that that cannot be answered because they're not it's you're not looking at like a kevin sorbo or a scott bay or one of these fucking assholes who won't shut up about how christian they are and does <laughs> nothing but christian movies because they don't have a choice because that's the only people that'll hire their asses like these are legit like character actors you've seen before, so I don't know. Well, let's let, let's get into the to the plot a little bit, um, sure. and all of that. Uh, the main star playing Reverend Debbie Laramie is Crystal Bernard. She was on the sitcom Wings back in the late '80s, which is one I don't. I wonder if it holds up. I know you you like some of the older sitcoms. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I've heard that Wings was good. Was it the... I remember liking it when I was a kid, but I liked lots of dumb shows as a kid, so I don't know. Well, no, I haven't seen it, so I guess I can't say. And apparently, looking at IMDb, she apparently, she must have retired or something in 2008, almost immediately after me. She did one other TV movie after this and then has not done anything since. So I don't know if she... If that was I assume that was her choice and not I would hate to think it's one of those like oh you're too old now lady old ladies can't be in movies like I don't know, she's not that old she's probably early 50s maybe right but it's you know not uncommon I guess it, yeah. you know, maybe she saw herself becoming a TV actress and was like no I didn't really want to do that Maybe it always been a, like she didn't really have much of a, a film career. She was kind of always a 
of TV and sitcom actors and lots of TV movies and stuff. Maybe she just said, hey, I've, you know, I've made my cheddar and I got other things to do. And that's a, as good of a reason as any. Sure. I hope she's well wherever she's at. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Reverend Debbie Laramie, the regular reverend, is, has gone off on a mission trip. It's the first United Church they're at. It's a big church in Dallas. And so it's her first time to come up. She's like the assistant reverend or whatever. Um, so she, so she's got to get up and give her first sermon in that role. And uh, apparently it's very hot in there. She takes off her outer robe. And underneath, she still has like a pantsuit on. And these people act like a pole came down from the ceiling and she's twerking on it. <laughs> Like, their overreaction to her, like, she's still wildly fully clothed. <laughs> like, so I don't know what, but they treat this, like, and also she, like, she's trying, like, some zingers, and the, uh, and the congregation's not having it. So they're very stuck up. Yeah, and I feel like to any rational person taking off her robe is not a big deal but i guess I feel like the church overreacts i guess well and it and actually from a real, oh good oh i was just gonna say from a religious standpoint i can see how that would just be like a faux pas but again like, it's not like she's in a bikini like <laughs> she's right i don't know why she i wouldn't have fired her for it i guess or transferred her rather I mean, I guess that's what you need for the plot to move on, but right. it seems silly and over the top, but let me digress into a little story of how I lost my religion, and it has a similar <laughs> uh, idea behind it. I was, I was raised Baptist. My parents were super religious. They still are not to the extent that they were. And um, at my church, we had a youth pastor who was the coolest fucking dude if there's one guy on the planet that you wanted to try to get through the kids and make this sh bullshit interesting to them this was the guy but he rode a motorcycle he wore like black clothes and listened to also not christian music as well as you know like secular quote-unquote music and the elders of the church the old fogies weren't having it and sent him packing like this, like, this man was my friend when I was 13 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. If there was anybody who was going to keep me a Christian, that was the guy. And you just sent him packing for wearing black, like, he must be a Satan worshiper. Like, it's preposterous. And that was, and I turned to my parents and I said, I'm never coming to this church again. And then I went and found every book, every religious book that has a name and, and read it and learned sort of you know started educating myself and now i would say i'm an atheist but but yeah stuff like that is exactly what you shouldn't be doing i mean maybe this congregation this audience isn't going to connect with her but someone might if she reaches someone in the audience by being different than the norm exactly and i think yeah just the fact that 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 just proves that they didn't care about 
teaching God to children at all. Like, if they fired the only person who got through to the kids, that just proves that they don't care. And that's the same with what they did to her in the movie, I guess, is like kicking her out because she was a little different or she didn't conform. It's just unreasonable. And that's oftentimes exactly what you need to communicate your message to people. Yeah. And I guess we don't see the uh, any sermons or anything from the guy she's replacing, so we don't know what it is they were used to, but apparently it's not this. And again, she's not crazy. She's not dancing around. She just took off her outer robe because it was hot, and she tried to, like, break the ice with them with, like, a dumb joke and just, nope, not having it. So she gets <laughs> transferred off to a little town two hours away called Paradise to run a little church there whose pastor has died i believe yes is that what they said yes um the her boss well reverend ellington who i guess i don't know what his role maybe he's the main pastor and then there was a there was a secondary who's gone and she was like the third string he seems to be in charge. He's played by Nick Searcy, who's in a bunch of stuff, Justified and Fried Green Tomatoes. Um, he was the guy running this rich church and sends her away. Um, <clears throat> she has a son, Hayden, who does not take the move well at all. No, I thought he was a little asshole in the beginning. 100%. I was I was so mad and I thought he looked so dumb because the entire time he was like screaming at her in the kitchen, he was like smirking and smiling through his angry rant. It was completely non-convincing. Yeah, but he's like, you're never home, get a real job. It's like, like she's <laughs> a woman of the, I don't know, the, the I think of the cloth is monks, isn't it? Or does, is it a blanket term? I think that's more Catholic. This is definitely very protestant i don't know if yeah, they're well, lutherans or presbyterian probably presbyterian sounds about right i don't know yeah they have bishops and deacons and stuff which is a very catholic thing but it's not they're not catholic i know that but yeah and you you know things suck since dad died like it's her fault that dad is dead like he's a real little shit yeah i always think it's a an interesting take I guess in movies mostly where I've seen it, where the kid is just blaming the other parent for the death. Like, where in your head do you think, where does A connect to B? Like, I get that you're upset, but it doesn't connect. Not your mom's fault. Yeah, it's not like there's some flashback of like, oh, you were arguing in the car when you drove off the bridge and it's your fault. You know, like, we don't know how he died, I don't think. Or, you know. Yeah, I don't think they say. But it's certainly not. So, yeah, he's a pissed-off teenager, doesn't want to move. He's like, you can move without me. Like, he can just stay there by himself. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's keeping He doesn't appear to have a girlfriend. He doesn't appear to have – maybe he just probably doesn't want to move in general. But um, since he clearly – he's at a school that can't be bothered to diagnose his dyslexia, which we'll come back to in a minute. Like, he can't be doing that great at school either, so – uh, but he's a real dick about it, but he doesn't have a choice. So off they move to Paradise, Texas. 
and we yeah and then we see him at his new school he gets asked to read aloud in class and has real difficulty and everybody all the other kids are kind of snickering and we come to learn that yeah he has dyslexia but how do you not how is it that the teacher at the small little school in the small little town instantly recognizes this in your big city school nobody there was like i think something's wrong with this kid i think this yeah. you know for years and years and years and you're in your teenage you're a teenager and you can't read and they don't notice Yeah, it's, I don't know how that works, but um, then he meets uh, Kip, who's a, a small little, not a small child, he's, this, he's supposedly the same age, he's smaller in stature and has a limp, so he sort of empathizes, em, Jesus Christ, <laughs> empathizes with um, Kip, because they're kind of both damaged or broke, whatever, you know. The mindset would be um hayden's big into basketball in fact he walks con contemplatively around town just dribbling with himself <laughs> we have quite a lot of shots of that while the credits roll um he's in the gym by himself shooting hoops and we meet coach kent dylan who was played by a guy named william shockley who was on dr quinn medicine woman he was one of the main guys on that and he's also the co-writer of this film, coincidentally. Hmm. Or not a coincidence, I guess, but by the way. Did you not think the second he walked on screen, oh, well, that's mom's new boyfriend? Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> like, He was majorly predictable. He doesn't even have much to say. He's just like, oh, hey, you got a nice shot, kid. See you around, and walks off. And it's like, well, obviously, he's going to start mentoring this young boy. The parents, they're going to get together. End of the movie, done. But it's almost like, <laughs> and this isn't what is presented to us, but it, it very much feels like he heard there's a new single mom in town and he slid into the room <laughs> like like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. You're, hey, kid. <laughs> yeah, it, he's not to your mom. But he doesn't, which is better than, I guess, at least he doesn't come off as creepy. Like, I never got the vibe of, like, is this guy a molester? Do I have to worry <laughs> about this? You know? I never got yeah. that. So that's good, because that could have gone that way. Right. Very easily sneaking up on this kid in a dark gym and <laughs> watching him play basketball. Um, and where are we at? Um, Debbie is running some errands around town and meets... Now, here we have... Again, not the aggressive racism you're going to find in a lot of these movies, but a very casual racism that the one black man in this town, the one black man in the movie with a speaking, you see another one at one point, but he doesn't have, he never says a word. So no. the only speaking part for a person of color whatsoever in this film is a homeless man who is sitting and busking, um, playing guitar, and he's a good singer. And I guess we should just be happy that he's not like the magical Negro that you get a lot of times in these movies. He's just a guy, but it's not a great look. It's not a great look that the one black character you have is the homeless guy. <laughs> no, it is not a good look. I really liked the character, but yeah, that is a mighty fine coincidence there that he's black and homeless. And, and the only uh, color person in the movie. <laughs> Which I like, just move, dude. 
go go find your people. Go. I'm not saying like you need to be segregated, and that's all I'm saying. But like, <laughs> maybe this town is not for you. In fact, he she invites him to come. She's like, oh, you're a really good singer. You should come and sing in my church. And he's like, no, nah, those people don't want to see me. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Like it was this church until she comes along. Was this church like bad place to go? Like this guy knows. Like, and I, you could read into it that what he means is because I'm homeless, they don't want. Yeah. But it doesn't come across like that. If it was a white guy saying that, you'd be like, oh, it's because he's homeless. But the second you make that character black, your brain immediately goes, well, it's not because he's homeless. It's because he's the only black guy down. <laughs> like, that's why they don't want to yeah. see him. And just, like, both things together. Especially. Yeah. And he says, not helping with the racism, uh, he says, well, he, she's like, he's like, I, the reverend that church wouldn't want me there and she goes well i happen to know that they would because i'm the new reverend and walks off and he says and i quote glad to mighty know not mighty glad to know he says glad to mighty know which is not a sentence i don't know if it's supposed to be like charmingly rustic but it's very like i don't know it feels very sort of song of the south Yes, yeah. master, kind of speak. Like, no, who, no one talks like that. I've never heard someone glad to mighty know. I guess the way it came off to me was just kind of like one of those weird comments people make, just a weird saying you just say. But now that you mention that, yeah, it does sound a little bit, a little bit on the edge there. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if the idea is that he's uneducated or if it's just, if he's that folksy. Right, and I don't I don't <laughs> feel like they ever made him seem uneducated in the movie. Um, well, yeah. I think to a, lot of the, to a lot of the audience for this film, if you're homeless, you must be uneducated because how, why else would you be homeless, you know? Yeah. But again... And we'll come to it later, but the other homeless character, Francis, gives a whole monologue about how that's not the case, and sometimes you're just unlucky, and that's how you become homeless. So, on one hand, it's sort of under the surface teaching bad lessons, but on the surface is teaching good lessons, and I don't, I can't make up its mind about what it's trying to teach you necessarily. I guess it can't escape some things, but um, yeah. So she brings him to the church. He performs. Um, a song and plays the guitar and there's the resistant slow clap where there's, yeah, the lady who runs the bakery whose name I can't recall, she immediately bursts into excited applause and it has to get everyone else in the congregation to like come on, come on, clap. She's happy all the time and eventually they get a real movie slow clap going and have, I guess, accepted him now because they know he can sing. Um, then we meet Johnny Sullivan, who is, well, the first thing we see him is his vanity plate. So immediately the, <laughs> the sig it's signaling to us, this guy's a real douchebag. Well, yeah. Um, and he is the son-in-law of, speaking of name actors, Brian Dennehy, scary individual who you've seen in a lot of things, um, plays Bobby Brown, not the one who was married to Whitney Houston, but um, he runs the car dealership in town. 
that Bobby Bobby Brown does. And yeah, his son-in-law is Johnny Sullivan's married to his daughter, and he fucking hates this guy. And he has every right to. Honestly. Oh, he does. He's an yeah. enormous tool. I'd be so mad if my daughter was married to him. But he doesn't hide it at all. No. It is dripping off from his pores in every word he says that he cannot stand this fucker and would probably like to kill him. He's so upset that he's married to his daughter. Yeah, and here poor John is the entire movie just like begging and begging for acceptance from his father-in-law. Not even really on that level, but just always having to ask him for things and knowing that he doesn't have his approval and he wants it so bad. But Yeah, and he'll eventually get it, but wait, stop being a dick. Right. Everything he says until the end of the movie is like, oh, this, what an asshole, this guy. And I say poor John because it's pathetic, not because I feel bad for him. No, yeah, it's. But but yes. Like he thinks, he seems to think a lot of himself. No one else seems to think much of him. Yeah. No one else kind of rolls their eyes and takes, you know. But again, but that's also sort of the messaging is like, well, everybody's got one. Every town has one. Every church has one. There's that one guy. Like, no, the message should be stand up to that guy and say, stop being a racist, misogynist piece of shit. Like, <laughs> that's not how we should be doing things. Exactly. So Bobby's daughter, Johnny's wife, has come to Bobby to ask if Johnny can be the king of the pecan parade, which doesn't matter at all because it's not featured in the movie. We never see this parade that they're talking about. Um, I, I think the scene is just there to set up how much he hates this <laughs> his son-in-law. He's like, I guess for you, I'll do it. But this is like my parade. This is my thing. I guess, I guess the, it's funded by the, the, the car dealership. He's the richest man in town, clearly. Mm-hmm. How, how a small town car dealership I mean, I guess they probably do all right, but, like, they make it seem like he's, like, the resident millionaire or something. And, um, then we meet Francis, who is played by Beth Grant, who is also in a lot of things, but I think most people know her from Donnie Darko. She's the Sparkle Motion mom. Um, she's also homeless. And we meet, where do we meet her? Oh, at the mission we meet her. Uh, because mm-hmm. Debbie gives, um, well, maybe I'm racist. I didn't write the black guy's name down. <laughs> What's his name? Trevor. Trevor. I did, no, write, I, it down. Trevor. I did write it down. I just see it. And Not yes, that. she gives Trevor a ride back to the shelter and they meet Francis. Who's the only homeless woman in town. And isn't allowed to stay at the shelter. And Hayden yeah. in the back seat is like, what is this place? And Trevor has to explain to this 16-year-old child who used to live in Dallas what a homeless shelter is. Or what a mission is. Yeah, you would think that at that point in his life he would know fully, especially living in a city, about homeless people and shelters. 
even yeah i can see having questions about like oh how does it work like do they let like can anybody just stay here or you let you know but not even knowing what a homeless shelter is is crazy <laughs> like how sheltered are you that you've never come across this before or even heard of it right which also tells me that the church you used to go to that your mom was assistant reverend at never helped homeless people at all otherwise you would have heard of a homeless show yes which is what i was about to bring up they must not do much volunteering if he's never heard of it clearly not you don't um then there's that meeting with the teacher that uh, Debbie goes to. Well, now she learns, or the teacher suggests that, like, hey, you should get him tested. He probably has dyslexia. And she had no idea either. Um, Debbie didn't. So, and I don't know if we're supposed to be like, oh, maybe she's not that observant of a mom. Maybe he's a little right that she doesn't pay enough attention because mm-hmm. she should know. Even if the school never called you and said, we think your kids is... You should know, yeah. Should That's what I kind of thought. To read something, and he couldn't do it. Like, he can read, but he's very slow. He has to... She says he has a tracking problem and mixing words up and stuff. Yeah. He's not completely I mean, illiterate, but... Yeah. And I think... I don't know. I think... That especially the point he's making is that she hasn't been home since she's become a reverend, which they make it look like was kind of recently, maybe since her husband died. So like, why wouldn't she have noticed through his entire childhood? Like, what was she doing before that she just like was never with him, apparently? I don't know. know. Maybe he's right. Maybe she's never home. Yeah. Not such a dick after all. So she seems like we never, we don't get any indication from her. Like, she seems like she must be a really good mom and a really good preacher. Like, we never, she is kind of a faultless character. Like, she never gets any sort of, she never learns any sort of lesson or any sort of come up. And she's kind of comes to us fully baked as this sort of champion good character and remains that way. And everyone around her has to learn lessons. Yeah, and I feel like from our viewpoint, there obviously was a lesson she had to learn. I don't know on what level she did, but I have to remember what I was just saying. <laughs> that happens. <clears throat> and not in a it's not in an aggravating way, like she's still like a charming nice character we're never like oh look at this you know oh yes but, and it wasn't until just now i didn't, didn't even occur to me until just now talking about it but like yeah she never really has i mean she has dilemmas and things but she never really like she doesn't have to learn that homeless people are okay she right comes that way she's the only person in town who's like hey give the homeless people a chance right i think um Overall, yeah, she's, like, nice, like, a godly, like, a, like, what you, what an actual Christian looks like, you know, a good person, but I feel like she's just so busy out doing good and doing good for other people that she was forgetting about her son, which is, I guess, her fault. That could be it. I don't know. 
Because by the end, he was transformed and all like, I love you, Mom. But she didn't really have that moment where she was like, huh, I guess I need to be home more and I guess I need to do this and I guess my son was right. They didn't have a whole bunch of that. Yeah, she's not a character to transform. She's a character that helps all the other characters transform. But the fact that I didn't that didn't even occur to me until just now tells me it can't be that egregious of a thing in the movie that I didn't notice it when I watched it twice. I didn't even think of it until just now. So Yeah, must not have been that noticeable. <clears throat> um Now we have uh, Johnny. Yeah, Jim O'Hare is in the in the bar, and they're kind of rolling their eyes at Johnny because he's complaining about the female minister and oh how you know it's crazy that we have why would they send a female here? And then he leaves the bar and talks to his wife and launches into it again immediately. I can't believe this woman preacher. It's a man's place behind the pulpit. Because he's the sort of assistant miniature, miniature minister of the church in paradise and feels that he should have gotten the job instead of someone being transferred in from outside, which is relatable content. I've been there. <laughs> Not preaching necessarily, but in other jobs. Um, and his wife kind of doesn't have it. She's like, no, she's great. She's fine. You know, she's doing a good job. You're... Like, she never gets mad at him, but she's like, okay, whatever. But she does say, and I wrote this down in quotes because it's one of the times that the movie's like, well, that's not a great message, is some things God holds sacred that should never change no matter what people think. Yeah, I was Which like... a real dog whistle to your audience of like, the rest of the world is saying like trans is a thing now and gay people are fine but god says no so don't you bend which is like and it's not explicitly saying that but it's it's saying that yeah i thought it was an interesting comment too in that way because it's kind of just her saying like okay we can live with a woman preacher it's fine but at some point we have to draw a line of the things that god will accept and that we will right. accept. And like, we haven't got there yet, but we might one day. I can <laughs> accept racism, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's... Uh, so that's very much in line with sort of Christian cinema as a whole, that sort of message. But, but then it undercuts that message with other things in the movie, so... It's hard to decide if this is what exactly this movie's saying necessarily. Um, Johnny's son, surprising no one, is a bully, just like his dad. Um, tries to get in a fight with Hayden outside the Tasty Freeze, which they refer to as the ice cream parlor, which I, to me, like, you have to be indoors to be in a parlor. Tasty Freeze that you just drive up to on your bike and order ice cream is not a parlor of any sort. But, um, yeah, he's the new kid in town, so they want to pick on him, and he has he has nice shoes, I guess, which is a problem for them. They're like, where'd you get those shoes, Dallas? Like, 
Well, yeah. You don't have a <laughs> footlocker here. Um, coach, coach is driving by and breaks it up. And gives Hayden a ride home. And here's our opportunity for them to shoehorn in like, no, Coach is pretty cool. Because he's driving, listening to country music. And Hayden's like, ugh, country music. And he's like, oh, I like all kinds of music. And he's like, well, I like hip hop. And the coach changes it to the generic hip hop. And he's like, that's chill. And I'm like, no, and no, sir. Even, I don't even know if that classified as hip hop. Well, like, I don't know. It just. To them, that's hip hop. Right. <laughs> But it's like a real desperate kind of screenwriting thing. I'm like, no, see, he's pretty, he's pretty dope. That's chill, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, fellow young people. <laughs> so he drives home, meets Debbie for the first time. He's all pretty. blue eyes at her, and she's like, hi. Yeah, no, like, pretty. She's more embarrassed at first that, like, oh, my kid was in a fight. You had to drive him home. Thank you. You know, maybe not picking up when he's laying down, but he's laying it down. <laughs> like, right. I doubt it's the first thing she was really thinking of, and especially probably embarrassed that she yelled in front of him. And yeah, but he's. I mean, he's not like overtly flirting necessarily but it's definitely there's fuck eyes going on well, yeah he's, he's you know? like he was giving her goo goo eyes like i was saying you could tell that he was he was really having a crush sure and um and i guess it, it it's also it's to this movie's credit that it's not because it would have been really easy to have her be like oh oh all twitter painted and like then the movie becomes about her how do i chase this guy down and get and it's not bad at all right no it was drastically less of that than i thought it was going to be yeah it's a way more organic sort of growth of her being like oh okay he this is like a good dude mm-hmm which I guess in her position was the the correct way, you know, the, the appropriate way, I guess, to go about it. And it's not even like, ooh, I want, you know, I want this guy, but I have to, like, I'm the new preacher in town, I have to watch my step. It's not even that. It's just, it's almost like it doesn't even cross her mind. Like, I have so much stuff, other, other stuff going on, I can't even think about Absolutely. this coach right now <laughs> like I have, my kid's dyslexic and there's homeless people and the church is you know i have other things um then we have a sermon where she is giving a parable slash joke that i've heard before but i actually appreciated a lot and again it's one of those things that like oh you wouldn't hear this in most christian movies i don't think and the parable joke sort of thing is um black guy is down on his luck he sees a church at the top of the hill and he goes and he goes in to pray because he just wants to be close to god and the minister or whatever comes over to him and says hey you don't belong here get out and he's sitting on the front steps of the church sort of crying and he hears a voice behind him say you know don't worry my son it's okay and he turns and it's jesus and jesus says don't worry about those guys i've been trying to get in there 
for 20 years myself, which is a pretty good joke, pretty good parable, and a pretty good message to the people in the audience of, of like a lot of churches that you go to are not as Christian as they should, like they're Christian in name only in the way that they behave towards other people, which is my whole thing with religion to divert for a second is that, I mean, Christians are easy to pick on. All, all religions are stupid. It doesn't matter which one. Like they're all hogwash science. I believe in science, but you can't, I'm fine with whatever the world is a dark and scary place and whatever can get you through the day without putting a gun in your mouth and look in the mirror at the end of the day. Great. Go and do that. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But the second you are foisting it on other people who are not interested or using that as a weapon against people who are different than you, which is what happens so often, that's where I go, well, no, we don't need this thing. This stopped being a thing that is helpful to the world and is a harmful apparatus. Yeah, and about that comment, I was that the joke, the comment, the parable that they included. I was really, I really liked that they put it in there. I wrote it down as a note too that I liked it, and I thought it was unique to hear in a Christian film. And yeah. And I've actually, like, it's crossed my mind a couple of times, like, that just, God is not in that church, like, sometimes God is not in that church, and God is not with people, even though they think, or they like to say, but they don't follow, you know? 100%. Talk to the talk, but don't walk the walk. Well, and you got, like, a Joel Osteen or somebody who has this enormous mega church and is a multi-millionaire and has a private jet and all this stuff and then when it was when there's an emergency and he won't let people come and sleep in the church you know who need a place to like like you're not stop calling yourself a christian if you don't have like you can get up there and talk the talk and read out of your book and sing your songs but when it when the rubber hits the road and you need to act in a benevolent fashion and you're incapable of it then you're not like that's not that's not wwjd no definitely not i was just thinking back to the time i was in new york city it was nighttime we were walking past a church and they were letting all of the homeless people in to sleep for the night and i was like huh i've never seen a church let homeless people sleep in there at night like and that's really the kind of people that are all around here. No. And those are those are godless coastal elites. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota yeah. nice my ass. That's all I'll say. Yeah, Minnesota nice is not that I pay attention to the churches around here, but I've certainly never heard of one becoming a nightly homeless encampment. No, and I I grew up surrounded, like, in an area right by the mall where there are many churches. Like, I have three churches surrounding my childhood home, and I've never seen it either. 
Anyway, the um, it's after this sermon that they have their big potluck that they've been talking about and planning for. She's invited all of the homeless people, which there's probably, I mean, it's not like a ton of homeless people in this town, but there's six or seven, enough that they need their own bus <laughs> at later yeah, on. they have a little mini bus. And um, so they're having a potluck, and it's at this point that Francis... Beth Grant um, stands up and gives a whole speech to everybody, you know, sort of A, thanking them for accepting her, but B, also tells her story of like her husband passed away and she was saddled with all these crazy medical bills. And that's why she's homeless. It's not that she's stupid. It's not that she's a drunk or a meth head or something like she's was just unlucky. And so again, it's the movie preaching what it actually should to its audience. And that's pretty cool. I don't know if God liked it, though, because then instantly a storm happens. Yeah, and... (laughs) Like, it's a clear blue sky, and then thunder and clouds and lightning. Yeah, obviously there was that sense of impending doom. You know, you could tell something bad was going to happen. And... But there was also some foreshadowing. Well, obviously, with the sense of impending doom was foreshadowing. But I was watching the scene of them when the clouds roll in and they can tell it's about to start storming. They all work together and tear down the picnic really, really fast. And we watched the entire thing. Yes, and they don't skip (laughs) the scenes. You watch it all and they... They tear down the entire picnic, like all the tables, all the chairs, all the food. They work together and they do it in mi- like minutes. But it's for a movie that is two hours and five minutes. And if you needed places to trim, we right, probably didn't need to watch two and a half minutes of silent picnic cleanup as a storm rolls in, which is what happens. Yes, I agree. Agree with you there. Then we, um, yeah, so the homeless contingent is getting back on their bus that's going to take them back to the shelter. Um, And it's here that we meet, I don't know if he's ever given a name, but we meet the gay slash maybe trans character in the movie Mm -hmm. who, again, on one hand, it's crazy that that character even exists in this movie because so many Christian movies are either going to pretend that that's not a thing that exists or it's the thing we're attacking, and they're all like, "Look at this devil!" You know, <laughs> he's and just a—he's a guy who has like a lady's scarf on and lipstick. We don't really comment on it too much, except when we first see him at the picnic. Um, and Coach is Coach Ken is talking to um, Hayden and giving him a little speech about taking it easy on his mom, and he says something about, "And some people are weird." Cut two. A shot of this man with lipstick walking across. I mean, it's practically like a record scratch, <laughs> like mm. gay guy. Like, but it's so subtle that it's like it's there, but it's not like punch you in the face homophobia that I would expect. It's strange. Right, I didn't notice that. So yeah, I did not. But and he's never like the butt of the. Never like the butt of a joke, really. No. And, yeah, and everybody seems to like him. Nobody's 
ever bullying him or saying things about him. So he just seems very generally well accepted. But he is presented in a way, again, the difference between what the movie is showing us and what the audience will take away from it. He is presented in a way that's kind of like, oh, get a load of this guy. I mean, not, not, no, that's not quite right. I don't mean that. But they're definitely doing something by having this character in the movie. And because of the way that he's presented, the way that he looks, they are sort of, you know, expecting the audience to be like, oh, get a load of this guy. Making a spectacle out of it, kind of. Kind of, but not in like an over-the-top way. He's not like coming in dressed like Carmen Miranda or something. Like he's just, he's not in like a ball gown or something. He's not, <laughs> he's not Harry Styles. He's right. just, oh. you know. Who could be? But yeah, he has like a neckerchief and like earrings and some lipstick on. So he's not a full like no, I think cliche or something. No, I think it's very tasteful. It's just an accent. For being in such a small town in Texas, it would probably be a lot. But yeah, and I choose to believe that he's there the same way that the homeless characters and the black character and the other things in this movie are, that it is genuinely trying to impart to its audience of like, look, these are people too. <laughs> like, this is a human being and leave him alone. Right. Um, but he says, yeah, they're getting on the bus and she's like, oh, where, where's Francis? She's not on the bus. And the gay man says, women aren't allowed at the shelter. It got bad. I should know which is a very strange line because it, it implies backstory that we're not given. And I don't know, like, is the implication that, like, he used to be much more trans-presenting and then he wasn't allowed in the homeless shelter because of it and so he toned himself down to get by? That's kind of what I took from it, but maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't know. I, my first thought was probably, or I guess maybe they had a problem with women being assaulted in the homeless shelters with there being, like, more men, but, like, it sounded more like in a town where everybody knew everybody and was friends that you would have that problem in the homeless shelter. Yeah. Because it is a small enough town that, because at one point, Coach makes a joke of, like, nobody in town even uses turn signals because everyone knows where everyone's going already. Yeah. Which is a dumb, like, use your turn signal, asshole. That's a dumb joke. But <laughs> yeah, so it's actually strange that there even are homeless people in the town. Right. Everyone knows everyone. Wouldn't someone be like, oh, hey, man, you're down on your luck? Come, unless they're, like, people drifting through. But you would think that someone would give them these good Christians who didn't take much to sway them into accepting homeless people in the church. Right. I don't know. We don't have enough background for that, I guess. No. Yeah, he says, no women are allowed at the shelter. It wouldn't be right. I should know. And it's just such a weird... Because it seems more like it's the impropriety of it. Like, oh, there's a bunch of men here. You can't have a woman sleeping there, too. Because that would be 
sinful. I don't think, to me, it came across less as like we're protecting her by doing that. Um, it's fine if she sleeps on the streets. But <laughs> yeah, well. Um, so, Tammy goes and finds Francis, invites her to stay, to come home with her. She refuses, tells her she can stay in the church. And she refuses that too. She's like, I will just, I'll just sit here on outside the church, sort of under the eave or whatever, sort of protected and wait out the storm. Um, which is, I guess it's that stubborn pride. Yeah. Like at this point, you know, these people well enough, you know, their intentions, like why, even if you don't want to go home with Debbie, she says like you have a young son at home it wouldn't be right which is again that feeling of impropriety of like it's weird if you have a teenage son and then you bring this other woman to sleep in your house like well, it's not that weird like no I wouldn't strange, think it was weird strange no. hill to die on but and at this point my thought immediately is oh shit francis is dead like dead meat that's what i thought too that's gonna be the moral of the story somehow is that she winds up sleeping outside the church and getting rained on and dies. And that's going to be the tragedy that happens. That's not what happens, but that's immediately, that's sort of what they're telegraphing. What does happen is somehow she has like a little charcoal burner from the um, leftover from the barbecue, the potluck, and that's how she's keeping warm. This thing is probably eight feet away from the church building yeah and it was raining and it's raining and somehow so we cut to debbie in bed asleep she gets a phone call and she's like oh no i'll be right there and again your thought is shit they found francis's body outside the church this is this sucks that's not what happened the church is on fire somehow this little charcoal barbecue pit that was again, eight feet away from any structure of the church and it's pouring rain out, has fallen over because Francis wasn't paying good enough attention to it and has burned down the church. Which I just can't even begin to think of what would have tipped it over or just like, I don't know, had enough power to blow it into the building in any way. Especially, especially since she said there were little sparks flying the rain would have put them out. Yeah, it's the rain, because the wind could have blown it or whatever, but everything is soaking wet because it's been raining, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense necessarily. I'm glad the church burned down rather than this woman died. That would have been yes, a bit yes. of a heavy sauce to put on this movie. Um, and, so, and the police arrest Francis because they suspect her of arson, or she's sort of admitted to arson, kind of. Like, she told them what happened, and they're like, well, that's arson, even though it wasn't, it was an accident. Um, and there's a cool little moment here where, because the church is on fire, so half the congregation shows up, Jim O'Hare and his wife show up, and Johnny Sullivan shows up, and they're watching the church burn down, or watching the firefighters try to put it out. And he's like, well, Debbie, your career at this church is over, because I guess because you let this let this woman burn the church down or whatever and she gets in his face 
and like her name's Francis. Her name's Francis. And starts to turn to walk away and then turns back around and gets in his face again and says, Her name's Francis. Like I was like, Yes. Who fucking go, bad bitch? Like Yeah. She's not having it. It was pretty cool. That made me feel good. I did like that. Because again, this guy, this fucking Johnny, he shows up everywhere he goes and he's just just talking his bullshit. Yeah, and by literally by this point in the movie, I was like, damn. No wonder his father-in-law doesn't fucking like him. He's such a little snot nose. I can't even believe his daughter would have even fallen in love with this twerp because he's just so negative. And why would he have become a priest if he just hates everything and is jealous of everything? Well, and this is the movie, again, I think make an example of like, this is the kind of Christian to not be. Yeah, is the kind of Christian to be, which is a good message. Like, I can't fault it. That's a good story That's to have. Um, as they're as as Debbie and Hayden are leaving, he makes some. He's like some comment about because Hayden has an earring, just like a little, you know. He's like, well, if I was his dad, I'd not to Debbie's face, mind you. No. But as soon as her back is turned, talking about Hayden, he's like. Well, my kid had an earring, I'd rip it out of his head or whatever. And, um, which again, asshole. But then also, Coach Coach Kent is there, and he's like, then he gets in Johnny's face and is like, why don't you watch your mouth? (laughs) And Johnny doesn't back down, and this guy is easily a foot, Coach is easily a foot taller than Johnny. And I have zero question of how this fight would turn out but so then he's threatening the coach he's like oh hey you know there's eight other guys that would love to be the coach of the basketball team like just being a total shit the coach is there to to call him out on his stuff because he's sweet on the lady i suppose yeah and then is it that i think it was then or maybe earlier when John makes a comment about how, like, well, at least my son has a dad at home to raise him, so he's not a wimp like Hayden. And it's like, did you really just make a comment about how he's a wimp because his dad died? Which, again, he's not saying to Debbie. He's saying to the coach. Yeah. To calls him out on it. A coward move. Yeah. And it's also, like, it almost seemed like it was directed at the coach as if there's some backstory there about. Because it's weird to say that to the coach about, I don't know. Right. The moral of the story is that guy's a dickhead. (laughs) At at every opportunity. Um, And also an incompetent boob, as we find out in the next scene, when the insurance adjuster shows up to meet with them about like okay how you know now we can pay to rebuild the church and informs everyone or not everyone debbie and johnny are there and the other lady jim o'hare's wife um that johnny didn't pay the last uh, insurance premium so the insurance has lapsed and they can't pay to rebuild the church and that's his first very sort of humbling he's still being asshole for a little while in the movie yet but this is the moment where it's like 
oh shit i'm the fuck up now (laughs) and suddenly they all as we come to find out they all have a common goal to work towards like i don't know suddenly he's not he's not being adversarial anymore all of a sudden like a switch flipped well it's i think it's that humbling it's someone who's never been humbled before and now, as much as he likes to talk shit about how this woman doesn't belong here, she shouldn't be running the church, she shouldn't be minister, like, you had your shot and you fucked us in the ass. Like, you've ruined our chance to, through your own laziness and stupidity, to afford, be able to afford to rebuild the church, and that's on you. That's got to keep you up at night and make you rethink some things in your life. Yeah, especially when he said to the insurance guy, he was like, well, you should have called me. Like, you should have told me. And he was like, I did a few times. And you said you'd take care of it. Like, Yeah, and then there's a weird thing where he says, like, Johnny says to the insurance guy, well, you've been wrong before. And the insurance guy's like, I was wrong. Or I I had down, you you changed your vanity plate again and i had the wrong one written down that's the mistake i made because you forgot to update it yeah so he tries he tries to turn it around but it doesn't work out Uh uh-uh um so now everyone's wondering what they're going to do the happy baker lady who runs the bakery says she has a barn at her ranch or whatever that hasn't been used in 10 or 15 years but it's going to take a lot of work to fix it up but they're welcome to use that as the church um and they're all sitting around this bakery or diner or whatever and of course johnny's like barn for a church that's stupid that would never work and um big bobby brown is there can't wait to take an opportunity to humiliate his son-in-law again (laughs) says i think a barn would work just fine in fact i'll make you a bet and it's the first of two bets regarding this barn church um if you guys can get it if we can get the church barn converted into a church in one day the car dealership will pay for all of the chairs and if we don't johnny has to pay for all the chairs and it's not even like a what do you say johnny let's shake hands it's like this is the deal i've just told you what's going to happen you have no say in the matter yep and you know he can't say no. You know, like, what is he going to look like if he says no? Yeah, he backed himself into a real no-win situation. Because Bobby's like, well, hey, she's not the idiot who let the insurance lap and when the church burned. So he kind of has no choice but to <laughs> consider his life options. Um, Debbie, at this point, catches the bullies smoking. And it looks like she's going to blackmail them into doing something. But she doesn't because she's like, boy, it'd be a real shame if your parents found out about this. And like, no, no, no don't, don't tell my dad. And there's a sick burn here where cause she knows who Johnny's kid is. But the other kid's like, don't tell my dad either. And she's like, who's your dad? And he's like, what's his, she says the guy's name. She's like, I don't know him. <laughs> like, I don't know who that is. A pretty sick burn on this fucking kid. True. <laughs> but, uh, I guess the sort of the blackmail is because she says, don't let me catch you smoking again and don't get in fights anymore or I'll tell your parents I caught you smoking. So I think it's sort of taking the pressure off of Hayden 
and getting these kids off his back. I guess that's the the blackmail that's set up there. But at first, it seems like she's going to use them more covertly to do something sneaky. Right, but she doesn't. She does the right thing, and I think it's a perfectly reasonable blackmail if such a thing exists. And she calls them goobers, and she walks away, and they're like, what's a goober? (laughs) Again, it's the very... That Christian movie thing of, like, we can't even say, like, ah, heck. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's a lot of talk about how much Brian Denny drinks, and he's seen things. So there's drinking in here, and there's smoking, so there's some things. I guess that's the difference between a G and a PG rating. Right. For one of these. Has to be. um, Then we have Francis sort of accosting a woman and her children. Like, I'm kind of on this. (laughs) There's a woman and her two daughters sitting on the bench. And don't be scared of homeless people. They're people too. But Francis is a little overbearing. Like, because she gets in this little kid's face. It's like, oh my God, you're so cute. What's your doll's name? And the mom's like, oh, let's go, kids. Which is kind of a shitty reaction, but kind of the right reaction given how Francis is behaving. She's, it's a little much. She's acting well yeah she's being overbearing and kind of acting like the mom should have a reason to kind of want to pull her kids away you know i don't want to i don't want to say she was acting crazy or anything but i don't know no I but guess. she's definitely as a parent a stranger that you don't know homeless or not yeah who walks over and like kneels down and is like face to face with your child like that's uncool yeah you don't just get all up in some kid's face. And you would think that in her time as a homeless woman, she would have learned this lesson by now. Unless what we're supposed to take from it is that, like, she never would have done that two weeks ago, but now she's sort of been bolstered by what's happening with the church and everything. And now she's like, oh, people do like me. And now she's shown, she's taught again that, like, oh, not everybody's into talking to me. Right. And I feel like... And, like, yes, in this situation, I'd say it had something to, well, I mean, it had something to do with her being homeless, but if she had done the exact same thing not being homeless, I think there would have still been a similar reaction. I, and I, I would, think, yeah, I would think so. It's just kind of a lesson of boundaries, maybe. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because she's not, like, grabbing this kid or anything, but it's very, it's closer to a stranger than you want your right um at school hayden befriends kip the kid with the limp and they're hanging out in the gym playing basketball and the cute girls come to apologize to kip on their friend's behalf for making fun of his limp and also to kind of flirt with hayden as they walk by yeah (laughs) but we don't it feels kind of unearned because there wasn't a lot of scenes of like there's only one little moment where people are kind of making fun of Kit behind his back, and this girl didn't really have anything to do with it. So it's... I, I almost feel like by befriending Hayden, who's the cute new boy, this kid is getting off light. Like, if he wasn't friends with Hayden, would that have had, would this girl have felt as bad or not? And it kind of... It doesn't really kind of add up to anything. But. I just... I think... I mean, maybe she would have still felt bad, but she wouldn't have had the gumption to then follow up with a, an apology. 
everybody's learning valuable lessons. Yeah. In this movie. Um, Debbie gets called to go back to Dallas to meet with the district bishop, who is Ken Jenkins, Dr. Kelso from Scrubs. Um, so she drives there, meets with him. The basic gist is that because the church went down, there's no building there anymore. There's no church there anymore. And so that's it. We're revoking the charter for your church. The people who went there can now... The idea is that Reverend um, Ellington, the church she used to belong to, um, is the next closest church in the district, which I'm calling horseshit on that. Because it's two hours away. There's not a single church of the same persuasion in two hours between Paradise and Dallas? Impossible. In Texas? No way. No there's way. Literally, probably, tr- I don't know. They're it's literally- shocking that there's only one church in Paradise. Yeah. I was going to say, there's probably multiple in every town in Texas. It's very much one of those church bar, church bar, church bar <laughs> streets, you know? I guess um, I don't have a problem with. So, it, the, the, yeah, it's crazy the idea that they would have to drive two hours to find a comparable. Exactly. I think the idea is that he's a greedy guy. He wants more congregants for his church, therefore more money for his church, which is... Again, a good lesson that the movie is giving that, like, some of these people are in it for the wrong reasons. These big churches aren't necessarily your friend. Um, but she's like, no, no way. No way. We're building a church out of a barn and it'll be ready to go on Sunday morning. And um, the bishop, the district bishop says, now we have our second bet concerning this church. He says, oh, well, the deal is the bank is going to repossess the land the church is on if we don't stop them. So I'll make you a deal. I'm going to come on Sunday morning. It's Friday now. I'm going to come on Sunday morning and watch your first service in your new barn church. And if it's acceptable to me, you can keep the land, you can keep the church, and everything will be cool. And if not, we're pulling your charter. The land's going to be repossessed, and you're on your own. So it's very high stakes now. <laughs> yes. Not like nuclear bomb defusal high stakes, but for the purposes of small town Texas, this is very high stakes. Well, because I mean, the church was a hunt that burned down was 120 years old. That should be mentioned. So it was an institution of this town. So I get it. But also, isn't there supposed to be the idea of like, Churches where you make it, like God, if God is everywhere, church is more than a building, it's your... Right, and that's that's something that my mom has always taught me, is you don't need to be in a church to be with God. But I still think, to a lot of people, it's incredibly important, and if, I guess there should be a house of God, you know, for anybody who needs it. So uh, then there, there's a discussion at the beauty parlor between the, it's, it's the bakery, the lady runs the bakery, Jim O'Hara's wife, um, Johnny Sullivan's wife, They're all sitting around getting their hair did. And there is a conversation. She's looking through a magazine 
And Johnny Sullivan's wife, Bobby Brown's daughter, says, I wish I had boobs like these supermodels, which is an odd thing to hear in a Christian movie. And then the older lady, who's sort of a bigger lady, says, oh, do you have it written down? It looks like you... <laughs> I did. I did write... I didn't write it word for word, but basically she says, yeah, she says, oh, honey, I got the super boobs and it comes with a super butt too. Like what a weird, I mean, I suppose <laughs> those conversations happen amongst Christian ladies. You just don't hear them in Christian movies. Right. So again, it's, folks, yeah, it's like kind of folksy. And... Yeah, I feel like Christian women are either having racist banter or on the other side of the coin, they're having just little cutesy banter that's just very, I don't know, G-rated. We're weaving baskets and doing our hair and I don't know. Sports. Oh, Doug got drunk and rolled another truck. Oh, Doug. Just, yeah, small town, <laughs> small town talk is never anything that racy. And that's... Apologizing for your, not really apologizing, but glossing over your husband's shitty behavior. Yeah. But yeah, there's this boobs and butts talk, and then they run off to buy a... a uh, quilt. Come for a quilt from the store, which will come in handy in a little while. Um, so they're working on the church. Everybody's pitching in. Well, not, not everybody, because when we see the actual church, there's probably a good 30, 35 people in there um, for the as part of the congregation working on it, there's maybe a dozen. So it's not everybody, but so they're painting and they're cleaning, cleaning out and fixing stuff up. Um, they're up against, they're up against the wire. They're up against the clock. Bobby gets bored or tired or something and decides he's going to take his grandkid, Johnny's kid after making fun of him to his, not to his face, but making fun of this kid's dad to the kid he's like your dad what a loser right <laughs> which is that's rough um takes his sports car that he's so happy and in love with and takes the grandson out on what appears to be a joyride and just takes off um which johnny's upset about um but it's not just a joyride he's gone to retrieve the homeless contingent and bring them back on their bus to help out. Um, which I don't know why wasn't part of the plan in the first place, but. Right. Seems like they weren't really doing much and the bus was readily available. So. But. And I don't, we don't know if, if, is, if Bobby's paying them or if they're expected to be doing free labor or what, I don't know. But um, they all show up. And of course our, our, our gay man, our man in lipstick, says he's real good with fabrics and colors which again like come on man you were doing so yeah. good <laughs> you were doing pretty well of having this openly gay somewhat trans character in your movie and not making him a constant punchline and he almost made it and now he's got a i mean i guess he, they are good with fabrics and colors <laughs> You would hope, you would think, but it's just, again, like, it's one of, he has maybe three lines in the movie, and this is one of them, it's, it's a bit much. Yeah. Johnny catches Kip and, um, 
hate it. Carving something on a little board and it's all been out of shape because that, I mean, this board is probably. Right, you're not going to build anything with it. Like No, it's scrap that they picked up off the ground and they're carving something in it and it gets all bent out of shape. That wood's not cheap. Who said you could do that? I can't, like, so he hasn't been humbled enough yet. Right. Yes. Stick in the mud for sure. Shoot first, ask questions later. Just constantly having to put other people down, which at this point might be a reaction to having just been put in his place and now he has to double down to make himself feel better. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, but um, there's a, a room in this barn that's sort of separate off of the main barn and they've now fixed that up and they give it to Francis as a place for her to live if she agrees to, I guess, clean the church or whatever. She's going to live in the new barn church in this separate room. I have a question. What about the first homeless guy you met? Remember before you met Francis, Debbie? You met that black guy who was singing and you brought him to church and he was so good at singing and playing guitar. That homeless guy? What, fuck him? (laughs) Like, you're giving this space to Francis who burned down your church. I mean, she didn't mean to, but let's be real. She burned down your church. And you're giving her a place to stay and the black guy gets to stay homeless? What the fuck is that? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, I did I did think about that. I was like, huh, kind of picking and choosing from the homeless people. Yeah. But on the other yeah, hand... The white woman. Well, on the other hand, there didn't seem to be any other homeless women. And I guess... At least that were introduced, and oh. I guess Francis can't stay in the shelter, so she was the only person who didn't have anywhere to be. That's true. I hadn't even thought of that aspect of it. I was so focused on expecting racism from these things <laughs> that I immediately thought of that. But no, you're right. She's not allowed to stay at the homeless shelter, so she should get the room. That makes mm-hmm. sense. You've swayed me. I'm glad to hear that. Turn me around. Um, so they do finish it one day so no, the deal was if they don't finish it one day Bobby and the car dealership would buy all the shares if they do then Johnny has to and so they do finish it one day so Johnny comes over with it and here's his big moment that this is what apparently completely turns him around and now he's not the villain of the film anymore he comes over with his check to give to Bobby, it's like, it was a good bet. I lost, the church is done. Here's a check for the chairs. And Bobby tears it up. He's like, that's all I wanted. Son-in-law was for you to, like, accept some responsibility and be a fucking man for once and grow right. some balls. And then they shake, and everything's cool, and all these years of resentment are washed away. Right, he just says, I wanted One to time did the right know. thing. Exactly. And it seemed, like yes. I said, it seemed like a pretty sudden switch but at the same time like they didn't really go into it it was just kind of it was the beginning it was the first step and that's not nice that's true and he also and then the kids come up and they're like hey we sorry we took your board but here's why and here's what we were working on and they've carved a sign that says paradise church to put on the church and he gets legit misty-eyed this rough and tumble asshole who has nothing good to say about anybody has now who's just been sort of accepted maybe by his father-in-law 
these kids show over this sign and he is about to lose it. <laughs> I f- and I just feel like they're, honestly, maybe I'm just an emotional person, but I just feel like there would be a lot of emotions going around in that space. It's like a lot of happy people, a lot of emotional people. And then this guy has a, you know, like you said, he had just been accepted. So he's probably feeling, even if he didn't know it, he was probably feeling a little bit emotional about that. Just he was probably feeling proud and like humbled. Yeah. A lot of stuff. It doesn't feel totally earned, but it doesn't feel totally unearned either. Like it's, we maybe needed a little more groundwork to establish this guy's turnaround, but. Yeah, but everybody deserve people deserve a second chance. So I feel like that was probably introducing his second re his reentry into society as not an asshole. Yeah, and it, and for the audience of these films, the moral of that is you know maybe don't give up on people. Even assholes, you know, given enough examples, can turn around and become. God, I wish that was true, but I don't believe that that's true. <laughs> it's a wonderful sentiment, but I've seen too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anything's possible. I definitely think people can change, but I also feel like you never really know people. So if they change on the outside and act different, that's what you see. I don't know where I actually don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just, That's okay. Sometimes people can change. Other times I'd say it's a little bit harder to convince me. But I'd say like somebody like uh John in this story, he was an asshole, but he was like a minor asshole. He just had a stick up his ass that needed to be removed. You know, he was a you know, but I don't know. He needed to open his heart a little bit more, warm up to his community and the new Debbie. But so I feel like he's, yeah, a likely candidate to change where other people are not so much. I just, I wish it was that easy. (laughs) I wish it was that easy to change. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd I'd probably be a lot more on board with Christianity if it was that easy to change these people's minds. But, um, yeah, um, Kent has built Debbie a new pulpit secretly while everyone else is working on the barn. He has built her um, a new pulpit, and she's taken aback by it, and she gets back there, and she's like, oh, how do I look? And he says, you look beautiful. And that's our first sort of, like, Oh shit, it's on. And it's a real good performance wise, is a real good reaction from her. The way she reacts is very sort of flustered and yet also turned on. And like she like touches her hair a couple times and is like, oh well, I <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this information. But it was all right. And then they have an esteemy embrace. They hug. I don't, don't steam. I don't know about steamy. It's a hog, and they're patting each other's back. But you're getting no, the shot yeah. from over each other's shoulder of each other's face of, like, like this is <laughs> what a good hug. Right. It's definitely the beginning of the 
and we never see it in the movie, but you imagine after credits roll, it's pound town for these two. Well, maybe maybe on the road. Yeah. On the road, but I definitely think they're going to get together. For so sure. Probably I have to lower everything to its basest, most disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't just say, well, maybe they, they get married. Yeah, maybe they have a crush on each other. Yeah, they probably do. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of winding down. She gives her first sermon. Uh, the district bishop shows up and gives it the thumbs up. Um, the the building itself and her sort of performance. Hayden gets up to read from the Bible, and there's not a dry eye in the house. I don't mean at my house. I mean in the. <laughs> I was fine, but in the congregation, there are a bunch of people who, as far as we know, have never met Hayden. Don't know that he's dyslexic. Don't know why it's so spectacular that he's able to get up in front of the church and read fluently. But everyone in this church is like, "Oh my God! Oh, let's get his reading!" Oh, like, <laughs> which is a little over the top, but. Yeah, because I love you, Mom, and she's I love, I love you. So it's, now everybody's happy, everything's content, except I would point out that this church is not waterproof. Or this barn, like you can see sunlight coming through the space between the boards of this barn. The first storm, like the last one that hits, and your church is going to be flooded. All these chairs are going to be ruined. All the Bibles are going to be soaked. Soaked. All your hymnals, ruins. And yeah, that's it. That's the movie. Happy ending for everybody. Everyone except maybe Debbie learned some lessons and became a better person. Hopefully the viewers did as well. Yeah, I I definitely feel, you feel changed. I do. <laughs> I thought it was a good movie. And See, I get I I can't bring myself to go that far okay i'm easy to please i would say it's a 3.5 out of five stars i mean on a on a technical as a movie guy on a technical level as far as how it, the performances and how in the writing and how it's filmed i'd give it like a two out of five but i went into it expecting a half a star out of five this is going to be and compared to the last two movies that I watched in this podcast, My Stepdaughter and uh, Highlander, this is a thousand times better than either of those films. So, not bad. Yeah, definitely compared to some things. And if I was going to get stuck watching a Christian movie, I feel like this was the one to go. Like This was the way to go. And I hoped you would feel that way. I thought I after I finished it, I knew you would like it. That you wouldn't hate it. Yeah, that's that's the terminology I want on the record. Is that I did not yes. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll have to do. It's a step in the in a direction anyway. <laughs> um, and that about covers it. Any closing thoughts, madam? I was just so glad to be here today, and that's my final thought. I was glad to have you. Maybe um, we'll do it again someday. Yes. Different 
a better or worse movie? I don't know. Yeah, speaking something. Of not, speaking of not knowing, let me uh, push my magic button here and find out what the movie for next week will be. Do, do, do. It is The Executioner Part 2. Looks like a cheesy action movie from 1984. Starring no one I've ever heard of. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. For people who want to watch along. That will be the movie for me and a guest next week. Where can people find you should you wish to be found? What's your uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that business? My gosh, let me... You gotta look it up? Yes. I'll say my Instagram here. It is Piper Get In My Van Steenwick. I believe and Twitter is similar. Yes, my Twitter is similar. It's I believe they just wouldn't let me fit Steenwick. So it's basically the same without that. So it's Piper Get In My Van? Yes. I believe so. <laughs> Right. Um, let's see, what about me? Uh, I'm at Heath Lambert 78. The uh, show has a Twitter account as well, which is uh, at That's So Random P2. Any questions, comments, suggestions, rants, and raves? You can, uh, there's an email for the podcast, which is That's So Random Pod at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that business. Um, I think that's it. I feel like um, the show is, I don't know if I'd say growing, but I've gone from, we're up to like 35 people a week that listen now, which is up from 20 to 30. Um, I, I suspect it probably varies episode to episode depending on you know, if someone's just searching, like, oh, Highlander, I know that movie, I'll, you know, as opposed to something like this that no one's ever heard of. But, um, yeah, hopefully we just keep keep growing and going, and it's fun, and we'll have you back again sometime. And uh, everyone, so, yeah. So, everyone, that's your homework for next week. Executioner, The Executioner, Part 2 on Amazon Prime. And uh, that'll do it for this week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, lady.